get back to Sports and Torts with David Spada and Elliot Harris on TalkZone.com. Welcome back. I'm Elliot Harris. And our next segment is with Pro Football Hall of Famer Elvin Bethea. For those of you who are old enough to remember are students of the game of football, he is an eight-time Pro Bowl selection, played his entire career with the Houston Oilers when there were Houston Oilers. And we will go directly to Elvin Bethea. I see you went to North Carolina AT&T for college. How did you end up there? (laughs) The reason why I'm laughing because there's a telephone company named AT&T. And I always tell people, I didn't go to a a telephone company college. (laughs) It was North Carolina Carolina A&T, Agriculture and Technical. That's right. I put put too many T's in there. I always laugh. People always say, oh, you went to AT&T. No, I did not. I went to one AT. <laughs> anyway, and, uh, life goes on. I'm going to enjoy it. <laughs> What's the guy from New Jersey ending up at, at North Carolina A&T, though? Well, that was not my choice. My mother made that choice for me. I had, at that time, probably about 18 to 20 scholarships, and I really wanted to go to Villanova. That was my first school of choice. But my mother went to school with a gentleman by the name who was on a football coach by the name of Mel Grooms, and that was the end of it. She went to school with him back in her day, and that was my last uh, say. So I did well. I didn't have a say so in it. So I, I'm glad I went. I went to a small college, and um, we always say that you can make it at a small black college. You can make it anywhere in the world. That was the motto. What would have happened if you said no to your mom? Uh, there was no such thing back then. <laughs> Maybe, maybe <laughs> no, no such thing. Young man you doesn't ever. do that. <laughs> you know, what I, was I the transition? Uh, what was the transition like going from Trenton, New Jersey, civilization as we know it, to <laughs> to North Carolina A and T, which I'm sure had to be something of a culture shock for you? Well, yes, it was a, quite a culture shock, you know, for, from going to a school that was part, well, was basically uh, where we were very integrated. We had from every language. Uh, Barrier there. I mean, we were very multicultural, and then you go from there to a college, and at a what 18 years old to a college, and and um, and it's pretty predominantly black, and it was a little adjustment, but I I enjoyed it. And the, that the, the the one thing that really shocked me that the facilities there were worse than I had at at, a, at a high, in high school. But I adjusted, and uh, everything worked out for me. I, I, I always tell people if I had to do it again, I'd do it all over again the same way. And then you get drafted by the Houston Oilers, so then you're going even farther south. <laughs> I went southwest, and we're talking about a real culture shock, buddy. And I, I left left uh, North Carolina and went to uh, my first stop over was in Kerrville, Texas. I, re- I could re- recommend that highly for anyone from up north. Uh, you'll learn a lot. There are cactus in uh, cactus. Now, is that the middle of nowhere or a little bit west of the middle of nowhere? It, it was it, a little bit west of the middle of nowhere. It was, I think it was about 80 miles west of San Antonio. And uh, on a little hill country, uh, nothing was there. You didn't have Walmart there. You didn't have a Kmart. You didn't have... Uh, um, 
were pay, any real restaurants to go to. They were just a little country town, and we we were uh, we were based at it. Um, our location was at a Shriner Institute, they call it, and it was just a uh, boarding school. And the facilities were the only best facilities, well, the best facilities at that time were your, your sleeping quarters, but everything else was uh, back in 1940s, I think. How did you end up there? Was this Bud Adams' choice? This was Bud Adams' choice, yeah. And, uh, but this is where it was cheap. It was a, uh institute where you're just for, um, uh, what was it, uh, private. It was a private school, small private, but they filled the uh, sleeping facilities. They had dormitories, but as far as the uh, practice facilities, it was second to none. And I mean none because you there was no air conditioning. There was no no air conditioning in, in the unit uh, in the gym they had no air conditioning. We went out. The only thing that was green on in that whole area was the football field. Uh, seriously, and wow. the temperature was always up to at uh, two o'clock in the afternoon. Three o'clock was always uh, at least ninety five, ninety five to hundred. And uh, this is the way we train. And uh, yeah, but nobody, they would always tell you. They tell you it's a dry heat, right? Oh, yeah, this is very dry heat. I don't know what damn difference there is, but... I was going to say, when when you get to be 100 degrees, it doesn't, it doesn't matter a whole heck of a lot, I don't think. No, there is no difference, believe me. But we, we, we trained there, and um, uh, that's what you were there to do. Train, and we had, what, six weeks? We were there for six weeks, seven weeks before you broke training camp, and there was nothing to do. Um, no, nothing. Zero. Uh, all you did was drink beer on the weekend. Uh, you had a scrimmage that morning, and you were off from Saturday afternoon until Sunday, and then was back to work. But and it was actually strictly for training, and that's what it. Uh, it, it was good. I, I think it got you away from your family and other, other obstacles that might, might tend to bend your ear the wrong way. You had some good players on on those teams. Who were the leaders when you went there? Oh, back there we were talking about Hall of Famer was Kenny Houston. Uh, he was a Hall of who's now a Hall of Famer. We had Jerry Levice back then. Uh, uh, God, Darlin Boyette, who was uh, I'm trying to think of um, some real key name people back then. Uh, Larry Carroll. Wade Carroll, yes. Yeah. Uh, Carroll was there. I mean, they were. I'm trying to think. I'm so old now. My mind is not there, fellas. Give me a break. <laughs> no, no problem. But but Ken Houston, he was a great uh, kick and punt returner, and also a cornerback. Yeah. And, and a cornerback, one hell of a cornerback. Anytime you can make it to the Hall of Fame from from where we came back then, uh, the, the team that we were on. I mean, we didn't have a winning season at all. But uh, you know, that that's the type of uh, players that they had chosen and. Uh, quite a few guys have made it uh, from uh, from leaving there, going to other teams. So uh, it, it, it was a, a time for everyone, and everybody enjoyed it for what little money we were making. And as I tell you before, that we were there for six weeks, and we were making fifty dollars a game. And wow. that was before taxes, uh, after taxes, you got forty six twenty four. <laughs> but so, so that's what you were in training camp for to make fifty dollars for every preseason game. What was the adjustment like from college to pros? Did you did you feel that pretty early on in training camp that you you belonged 
Well, and when you when you get there, you think you're the hot hottest stuff uh, showing up. But after you get there, you find out a lot of players above and beyond your talent, and everybody's good at that point. I mean, they're I mean they're they're bringing in people that that can help the team and hope to make the team. But uh, in my case, uh, I had quite I had quite a lot of competition back then, and and I I just wanted to make the team. That's all. And I didn't as far as the money, uh, fifteen thousand my first year. All I wanted to do was just have that emblem and that logo on, to wear it on my helmet, wear it on my jacket or whatever. But that's what it was. I mean, pro. That's what, back then. You 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 came in. They came in with a hundred players, and only forty of them, of them were going to stay. And for, for me, to, I was lucky enough to stay. I mean, I worked my tail off because I wanted to be a Houston older. Had no idea what the hell I was doing, but. I enjoyed football, so uh, and then what? Sixteen years later, I'm still there. You had a hundred. Uh, you had a hundred five career sacks, but back then they didn't keep track of the sacks. An official stat. Did you actually strive to get sacks, or did that just happen by playing good defense? Well, that's just just playing. I mean, you're going in. I mean, I, after I realized, you know, there was there was there was stats behind it. every year. That's what I would build my my next year on, and my goals. Uh, whether it was tackles and when they were keeping tackles, every, every year I wanted to have one more, two more better than the last year. So that was my goal, always trying to reach another a higher goal and set, set, set all these uh, numbers for myself. And But this happened later. When you first start out, I, all I wanted to do was play. There was no goals except for making the Pro Bowl. That, that was that was an incentive that I really was after trying to make. But never thought I'd be there, what, Pro Bowl for eight years. I mean, instead of which, if you made the Pro Bowl list, you got 1500 bucks extra. So, so that was your incentive. It wasn't all that like now, and you then and you got to the Pro Bowl, you already made, well, I think winning team got a 1000 losing team got 750 but we would kill each other for the extra 250 or whatever it was. But, no, they... Um, the uh, the times were you know the, 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 I was just glad to be there and, and then uh, setting those goals you know that hundred hundred and five they say I, I I still don't agree with it but that's what they said I got at that time because no one kept kept any uh, records so I still think I, I I would have been close to to the now record of what two hundred two hundred I think Bruce Bruce Smith has but who knows life goes on you mean you don't have the game films. Of every game you played, and you haven't broken them down play by play. No, no, I, I, I you know, <laughs> many people ask me that. Can I can I honestly tell you something that I did never follow. Whatever I did, I never looked back. I have books I've written. I've had, had a lot of things that accomplishments that even going into the a good example when I got chosen for the Hall of Fame. Uh, the guy that really helped me, a guy named Mark Adams, he kept every stat on me from the day I got. And I didn't. I, I never followed stats. I just went out to play the game. And after I saw the stats, I was impressed with my own self. I said, well, I must have been really good. <laughs> but it, uh, stats never gave me any real thing to uh, accept after I got later in the years looking at them. I I'm 41 now. I remember watching the Bears play the Oilers, and everybody talked about Walter Payton being the greatest running back of all time. But Earl Campbell, I would watch that guy run, and I'm like, this guy is an absolute monster. And you had to go up against him in practice. 
Yeah, we, well, the thing was, we, we the bum wouldn't let us go directly up. In training camp, we'd get on in 1978 when he came. Uh, we we would have the second team go would, would go against the first team always, whether offense or defense. Offense or first team would go against the second team defense, and our second team, first team defense go against second team offense. So we really didn't never met up in, in practice. That was one thing Bum wanted to make sure that nobody got hurt. If anybody got hurt, it was the rookies or the second teamer. But no, without that, that's one thing we never faced each other in practice at all. Because that was the one thing that Bum, Bum wanted to make sure he took care of his players, and that was Bum was a player's coach. I mean, he seems like such a character, Bum Phillips. Oh yeah. <laughs> was he like that? Was he like that in real life? That you guys? Oh yeah, even more. I mean, he he took care of us. I, I got to say, he took care of us. But Bum was that reason why I said he is a coach, a player's coach. I mean, he understood every player. That that's, that was amazing. I sit there and watched him, you know, for years, and he knew each player on that team what button to push as far as getting him motivated. And that was that was a crazy thing because we had players that were for, from other teams. I call them misfits and characters, and that's what we were basically misfit characters. We were. To just uh, teams that released guys that you heard of, and then when they came to Houston, I mean, we picked up anybody and everybody that was that was on the, the trading block. But the thing is, Bum knew how to pick out each push each player's button to get him motivated. He'd, he'd come up with some corny stories, or even like the year when we with everybody remembers when we. First we knocked on the door, and then we tapped. First we tapped on the door, and then we knocked on it. And next year we're gonna kick the son of a bitch in, and that was Pittsburgh game, and you know things like this that people still remember crazy things that he says, but they made sense. So, but he he was the type of guy that that he uh, he pull you to the side and say, hey, I mean, uh, you know, you either get in line or, or get out of line because uh, I will trade you. But you knew right from the start that uh, where he was from. I mean, he he was trying to build a team on on them building building themselves, and that was the greatest thing. Because if he had a pro, we had a problem with one guy, he wouldn't he he'd come to Curly or Pastorini and I and and ask us to take care of the problem, and we take care of our own own in house. So that was the greatest thing about him that uh, he let you play the game. Made sure you 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 were fit, you were prepared, and and you know after it was all over, it was a party after every game, there was some type of party so that that he would uh, have set for. So it, it was a great time for me, especially in the old, later years. A lot of people blame him for Earl Campbell's condition, saying that he ran that guy into the ground, that he yeah. caused some of his problems. Yeah, I've I've heard that often. I mean, Earl right, Earl left, Earl up the middle, and. Uh, you know, I think Earl wanted to run the ball. I mean, he he was the man, and I think uh, he proved that he was the man. But you know, that, that that's football. I mean, you you have something that that's going for you. You have a play, or you have a player that's that, that's bringing you, you your, your wins. You go with it. You go with it. I am sad to say that Earl only played what seven years. I think it was, but before now he, he's barely can walk. But that was football, and. Um, that you play the best, and I'm sure Earl wouldn't want to have been wanted to been sitting on the bench any time. But you get out there, and once you get into the game, uh, not knowing that after the, the effects after the game, when you leave the game, 
but that was bum. I mean, like I said, Earl could have, um, uh, you know, backed off when he wanted to, but that was Earl. And that's the way Bum, uh, Bum saw these things. And, um, I, that's why I said he, he knew every, every button for each guy what to push and how hard to push it. So now you played your entire career with the Houston Oilers. So is your allegiance with the, Tennessee Titans or the Houston <laughs> Texans or somebody else? How, how does that work? <laughs> Guess what? I don't care who wins, who loses. When I cut the cord, I cut the cord smoothly. I never look back. Don't care who wins, who loses. Uh, um, the game's bad. I, I, that was part of my history. And I'm, I'm, I'm satisfied. I'm happy with what I did. Uh, looking at today's uh, game, I really don't care who wins, who loses. Um, it doesn't phase me one, one way or the other. I, I, I've been to, to that game, to that stadium. When I say stadium, that stadium, it's the Texas stadium. I've been in that stadium twice, and it's only like seven minutes from my house. Uh, but I'm uh, when I cut the cord, I, like I said, I'm I'm. Uh, I, that was history. That was my history. That's what I did at that time, and and I don't look back. I never look back. And a lot of things that I did, uh, even pictures that I, I, I had people show me, I tried to just you know, just put it away. And that was history. I enjoyed it. I, it was a wonderful ride, but life goes on for me. And a lot of players that I know still still have to be tied to that, still have to um, be a part of it. Uh, but I'm in my case, when I look back, when I, I close the door, I went straight to work with Isaac Bush. Never looked back. Uh, like I said, I've been to two games uh, here since they've been here since what 2001. So uh, it's not exciting to me anymore. Uh, I did, did mine, and uh, just uh, just don't I don't look back at anything that I did. I was at the Hall of Fame last weekend for the inductions, and the thing I noticed is there was like 70 former. <clears throat> Are 70 Hall of Famers that came back for the ceremonies. It seems like you guys are a tight-knit, close group. You still get along well together. Oh, well, the new class, I, I enjoyed this new class. Last year's class, I wasn't excited about who, who went in. But this this, this year, I, I, I liked it because they were linemen. <laughs> I'm prejudiced towards linemen, but I love these guys, they, they come with a totally different attitude. They're, they're not no prima donnas. They don't. You know, riding on a great white horse and with, uh, you know, the kid thrown on the, that's where some of them I feel come in there. Like they, I had, well, one guy came in one year and I won't mention the name, said that he belonged at the hall. And I said, I know he didn't. He said it twice. He said, I belong here. I said, this is, this is real nerve here. This is a guy that understood, doesn't understand what the whole thing is all about. And, um, and I figured, I said, well, if he belongs, what, what do we all belong? Do we actually belong here? But uh, this year's class, I enjoyed it because they were linemen. Um, they finally got to do with Jack Butler. I'm glad he finally took him years, 50 years, I think, somewhere around there to get in. And it was, it was a joyous, uh, even even with the Martin, uh, the running back, it, it was a joyous time this year. I, I enjoyed everything. I went to each and everything that we were to go to, but but you know there, there's um, I mean there, there's always going to be uh, things that you dislike or like about the hall and the people that you're around. But uh, we're all in the Hall of Fame, and uh, some some of us feel that we're slighted because of we don't have that big that that uh, 
shining light, I guess, on us, like they're running backs and all that. Yeah, we're a defensive lineman, so we do one thing. We go and hurt people, knock people out. That's the part I like. I'll tell you one thing, though. The NFL has got to get someone up there when you give Len Dawson an award at the Gold Jacket ceremony, not to call him Ken Dawson. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I thought I was the only one that heard that. And I, <laughs> I'm serious. I heard that. I said, well, I think, I think that's, that's not his name, but uh, I'll let it go through. But I thought I heard that, but um, I'm glad somebody actually heard what I heard. <laughs> But uh, it's, it's a time uh, that I tell you, and, and when you're on that stage and you're among your friends over there, it is a it is a great feeling. And looking back and saying, "Hey, I'm I'm a Hall of Famer. I'm just like these guys on here. I'm like the Red Greens and, and and the Jim Browns, and we're all in the same boat." That's the feeling. And each year, I have to pinch myself really uh, with it, knowing from where where I came from to where I am. But it was. Uh, it, it's been uh, a great ride, great ride. So just a lot of friends that we've met, now I've met up there. You retired in 83. You got inducted in 2003. Is uh, it yeah, greater gratification for all that time? You know, definitely. at that 20-year lap, you know, to say, hey, they're going to call my name? <laughs> well, I, you know, I got to a point that, like, like uh, I think it was in my 17th, 18th year out, and people say, oh, you're going, you're going to haul out. And I say, if I haven't gone by now, I'm not worried, not concerned about it. And, and the craziest thing, the day I got the call, I was I was working with Anheuser-Busch and, uh, at the time, and I was heading to the meeting in St. Louis, and the guy called me and said, oh, you're in the Hall of Fame, and you're, your name's and I said, you know what, until I see it, and someone calls me and tells me, I won't believe it. But it's, uh, it's a time that I, I never thought that would, be, would ever happen to me, honestly. I never thought, never dawned on me as I always thought my numbers weren't enough. And um, I was playing on a very bad team. I mean, how many pro bowls, I mean, that I've gone to, which helped me, but how many winning seasons that on the team that I was on, all, all the teams that I. But it all, I mean, I guess things happen. Something, as I said, things happen to babies and fools. So <laughs> I guess. It, it happened happened for me, and uh, I didn't did not ever expect it. Honestly, never expected. Never, I didn't even follow the Hall of Fame. Honestly, but I'm just a simple person, and, I, and it's very it's a very humbling feeling that to say that. And every time I look at my jacket or looking at a picture with myself in the hall, I'm saying this is. And I did, it, it, I always tell people the votes could have gone, one more vote could have gone the wrong way for me and could have been another 20 years. So, but I, I, I'm, I'm very happy I'm there and, um, and I, I, I wear the jacket very proudly and, and I, I, um, I, I go back every year. I mean, they have a parade that's the second to nine. It's better than the Macy's parade. Over 250,000 people every year, each and every year I've gone there. And uh, that we have a parade in, on Saturday, and it's about two hours long, and it's just amazing how people come out to see us, just to wave at us, just to say. And always, the one thing they always say, thank you for coming back. That's what really helps. And it makes me feel that hey, I, I've, I've accomplished all of my goals and, and finally getting a little, little uh, accolades for, for what I did. 
I guess I got to say one thing. There was one one uh, kid was standing on the side about my second year, and he had a cardboard uh, cardboard box or a piece of paper. He had cut off a cord cardboard and had on it, "You coming back to Canton, priceless." And, and that's that's the soul of me. I said I'll be here every year. So, I'll tell you what, though, you you were successful not only as a football player, but again, you worked for Anheuser Busch and you wrote a book. Yeah. What did you do for Anheuser Busch? Well, our first year, our first ten years, I was an area manager. Then I went to a market manager. Then I went to a what they call a merchandising manager. And for my last five years, I was in uh, um, government governmental affairs. That's where all the money was, fellas. <laughs> that's what it's not in the beer. It's in the governmental affairs. But I was there for what uh, twenty twenty six years. Twenty six years. So I prepared myself. In the same years, you had to prepare yourself from day one. I was always working for when I joined the team in '68. During off season, you had to have a job. Because we would admit the big money out there making that, so you had to have something to carry over from December to uh, August uh, training camp. Uh, with the salaries that we were making, there, I mean, you had to have two new salaries coming in. But uh, but it, uh, in some ways, in some ways, that's probably more beneficial than these guys who get a lot of money, most. and and then when their careers are over, uh, they don't have a clue what to do. Yeah. Exactly. Now, well, that's why all of us that that worked at that time, we all wound up doing or joining a company from telephone to Anheuser Busch to one. We had one guy that opened up and started his own cement company because he worked on off season. So these are these were the good things. I mean, it, it built your foundation for for what were you going to do for when you, once you retired. And once I retired, I mean, I went. I closed. What uh, retired on December thirty first, and I took. Two weeks off and went straight to work with Anheuser Busch because I've been working with them doing off season since seventy since seventy eight. So, so um, everything the door closed one thing and I'm there at Anheuser Busch until nineteen what I'm sorry two thousand four when I retired. So they prepared me, which was a good thing, and um, and uh, just keep the beat. I mean, the, we my salary went from up here to down here in the real world now. <laughs> And uh, that was a good thing. I'll tell you what, you're always learning something, because when I was at the Hall of Fame, I was talking to Willie Lanier, and Bob Sinclair's daughter was there, and she looked at Willie and said, what number are you? He goes, what do you mean? <laughs> and he goes, in your Hall of Fame jacket, the number, that's the number you got elected. So what number yeah. are you? I was number 218. I'm glad you asked that, because I opened my new jacket up, I looked inside, I said, what is this? So uh, I started asking around Kenny Houston when he'd gone in, and, uh, and so it all, that's what it came to. I said, oh, this is okay now. At least we know what number we were when we went into the hall. And um, I think who was the lowest? Uh, I think uh, Raymond Barry. I asked Raymond. Raymond, I think Raymond was 90-something. Trippy's got to be. Trippy's like 55. Yeah, yeah uh, Trippy was 53 because he was sitting at the table with me. And uh, if we were just talking, I'd ask his wife, I said, what number, what is this number? And she asked me, she said, what, what number? I said, the number in his jacket, that's when he went, with, uh, that's the number of um, when the day he, he was uh, inducted, his number that he was inducted into the hall. So I'm 219, so I'm proud of it. The only guy who, the only guy who might be lower is Chuck Denaric. 
Chuck, you, you're probably right because I remember Chuck. Chuck did this craziest thing. I never would have thought this, but Chuck Bernard didn't. Uh, he was a guest speaker at my bank in high school. Believe that or not, is that and, I, and wow. it's just amazing. I said, "Hey, I am." He, he was my bank. He was a speaker, and now I'm in the same same boat with him. That that, that was that, that's so cool. I think looking back. But um, yeah, Chuck would Chuck would have been back there earlier too. But, but um, I'm just happy to be. I'm just ha- happy that I have a number. <laughs> a lot of people. <laughs> Not many people can say that. Exactly. It's a pretty exclusive club. <laughs> yes, yes, it is, and I, 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 I'm very humbled about being a part of this club. And uh, whatever they ask of me, I'm, I'm, I'm first one standing in line to do whatever they ask. So just don't sell the jack like Ricky Jackson. Uh, I'm sorry, Ricky Jackson? Yeah, just don't sell the jacket like he did. <laughs> the what? He sold He's, the jacket. He put it on eBay this year and sold it. No, he didn't. He did. I saw it online. No, uh, you, no, 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 you did not. I can't <laughs> believe that. Are you serious? I am. I looked it up. In, so, in, so, in Egypt. I'm going I'm, I'm to have to look that up because he, what, he just got in, what, three years ago? Yeah. There's only two. Yeah, three only, years only two people have sold their jackets, him and Charlie Trippy, and Trippy sold his because it was so old. I think he wanted a new. They gave a new one. So. You know, we're sitting at the table, sitting at the table with me. We sat at uh, one of our dinners together, and and Charlie told his wife that I'm going to sell the jacket. So his wife said, "No, we're not selling that jacket, or I mean, not selling it, or putting it on eBay or whatever." And I never would have thought. I thought he was joking about it. Oh my goodness. No, I think I'm. I, I think I'm gonna do like a number of our fellow fellow Hall of Famers. They they left this earth, and that's what they 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 left with. I was told. So um, that's what I think I'm gonna do. I, that's what I'm gonna do. I, that's what I'll leave this earth with wrapped in. So <laughs> you're the author of Smash Mouth, my football journey from Trenton to Canton. You you gonna write any more books? No, I think I, if I were to write one, I don't think they would allow me to print it because I, it, it would be a tell-all. Uh, honestly, it would be a tell-all because I, I just have to. I, I, you know what? Before I, if I get a little, once I get, I'm getting a little older. I, I may, I'm thinking about that because I, it, it there were some so many things I'd like to tell that people wouldn't believe, but until then. Uh, I'll hold them back. <laughs> Thank you so much for your time. It was a pleasure talking to you. I enjoyed every second of it, every minute of it, and I and I wish you all. I hope I get a chance to t- talk with you all down the road somewhere. All righty. Another Sports and Torts is just about done. I would like to thank our guest, Elvin Bethea and Amber Podell, and co-host David Spada. And, of course, our producer, Dave Olson, without whom you would not be seeing or hearing any of this. So tune in again and catch us on Sports and Torts on TalkZone.com.